Dear chess lovers, our guest today is one of the most popular and nicest chess streamers, Eric Rosen. How did he become an international master? Despite being shy in front of camera, how did he manage to become one of the most loved streamers? How does he fuel his journey? And overall, it seems to me he lives on his terms and has hacked some life code that you and I don't know. Let's find out! Eric, when I was researching, I noticed that you are not doing what you don't want to do mainly. So thank you very much for accepting this invitation. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we finally made it. Yeah, we were planning this for months and then finally we, we scheduled it. <laughs> yeah, I think you first messaged me in like maybe June, but then I I got busy. I was traveling internationally and then, um, yeah, uh, I had a few other trips more recently, but uh, back home, have more free time. So it's great to have a time you, to chat. I really cannot imagine how you are keeping adding so many content, streaming, adding stuff on YouTube, and also doing what you love to do, being in St. Louis, playing tennis, playing poker. So we'll come back to that. I'm very curious to ask this question, how you are managing everything in that oh, 24 hours. It seems we have the same time, but you are managing so much. <laughs> but let's start from, the, from your very early career. Tell me, please, uh, at what age and who brought you to this beautiful chess world? Yeah, I was seven years old um, on a family vacation in the Bahamas, and my older brother, uh, who at the time was, I guess, 11 or 12, uh, he taught me how to play. There was a chessboard in the hotel library that we were staying in, and I think from the moment I learned like the rules, I just got really into it, and then like after getting back from this vacation, I was bugging my parents to find a, a chess camp or class to to take me to and um eventually they found like a local park district class uh we live in the lived in the chicago area and um yeah when i attended the class i was like beating a lot of the players there who were older than me uh, including my older brother um so very shortly after that we found out about tournaments and then um played my first tournament at eight years old and kind of took off from there did, did you did you learn chess in one day? Did, did your brother manage to teach you in one day? My memory is a bit hazy, but um, like he taught me all the basic rules. And I think at the time I, I was already like kind of into puzzles and math and I had maybe a longer attention span for that, like compared to the average seven-year-old. So yeah, I think we like after teaching me how to play, like we tried to play a practice game or something, but I just kind of fell in love with the fact that you're kind of in control of your whole army and there's all this like strategy of trying to um to take down your opponent and I've I've also been quite competitive growing up so uh chess has it's always felt like a natural uh fit for me in in terms of a, a game and kind of a, a art an art and science to pursue. Do you remember when did you beat your brother first time? I wish I could. Um, yeah, my, my brother, but also my, my dad, who's just an avid beginner player. Um, they were my, my earliest opponents. And I remember more like having these matches against my dad when I was younger. And he was usually consistently beating me when, um, like shortly after I, I learned how to play. Um, but when I was eight years old, I attended 
uh, my first chess camp, my coach at the camp was uh, Tamara Golove. Maybe you know the name. Yeah. Uh, she's actually the childhood trainer of Boris Gelfand and Yuri Shulman. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she had um, come over from Belarus, I guess, a few years before. And after I attended that camp and like absorbed a lot of the knowledge that she provided me with, uh, my dad was no, no longer able to consistently beat me. And uh, yeah, from there, I've um, actually had her as a, my main coach for, for most of my childhood. And uh, she really gave me a, a strong foundation for the game and really helped me improve um, up until like the kind of amateur 16 to 1700 level. Were you beating your dad with Stafford Gambit <laughs> or Stafford you came up with later? <laughs> I didn't even know about the Stafford until I really until I started streaming. So okay. yeah, I, I will get there. the Stafford many, many years later. We, 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 will, get, we will get there. Sure. It's, it's so interesting. Uh, we had uh, little, we have little bit similarity in our, how we got to chess. Uh, but in my case, I was not in, like fully in love with chess immediately. So my, my grandmother taught me to play chess when I was four. Then my father was in the in the war. Uh, so we were just, it was bad situ economical situation in the country. We didn't have lights. So under the candlelight, my grandma was teaching me to play chess. Uh, and I beat her the very first game we played. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then we switched to backgammon. So I didn't have like okay. a really love for chess. But when my father came back from the war... My father is strong, so he has like 24 on chess.com, just so you can imagine his level. He was beating me with taking all of his pieces and with just playing two bishops. And chess was for me, not I was playing it for as a lot because I loved it, but it because it was a way to connect with my father. Whenever he was very busy because he came back from the war trying to find the job, he was barely making the ants. And when I was saying, that let's play chess he had no answer he had to play chess so to, in, in my case it was just to, to get to connect with my father but he was my first like in your case he was my first opponent <laughs> i should beat that but i beat it many many years later comparing sure it takes time to get that to, to that yeah. level yeah 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 uh one of your motivators i found that in childhood you wanted to have lots of trophies <laughs> tell me about that yeah, so this is a big thing in the U.S. <clears throat> um, at scholastic tournaments, especially the national scholastic tournaments, there's uh, a lot of trophies up for grabs. And usually if you win one of the, um, the top places, uh, you'd get a trophy sometimes almost as tall as you if, uh, if, if you're a younger kid. So <laughs> when my, my first national tournament was, I guess, in second grade played in uh in oregon it was the first time traveling out of state for a chess tournament and um i i don't know if i won a trophy at that tournament but like over the years of playing these scholastic events i kind of kept a, a trophy collection in my bedroom and uh by the time i was in my teens i had probably 50 to 100 trophies on my dresser and in my bookshelf and everything so it was kind of a symbol of uh, of all the hard work I put in. Um, as I got older, I, I did kind of lose interest in, in trophies and, and focus more on other benefits from the game. But it was definitely an early motivator of like getting like a special prize for uh, performing well in a tournament. Do you keep the trophies? 
Um, Are they still there? I have a lot of them still saved at my um, my parents' house. Uh, they're, they're, a lot of them are in storage in, in our basement, but the more important ones I do have with me, um, have one behind me. It's, uh, uh, this national high school championship that I won in 2011. It was the first time, really only time I won like a national scholastic championship. So was it the time for me. when they gave you Eric Rosen day? Was it that one? That yeah, yeah. So that was when, um, like, when I came back, my high school had a special day in my honor. And actually, my uh, the the town I grew up in, Skokie, Illinois, also had an Eric Rosen Day, and the mayor made it official. So um, it's not an annual thing, but it it did take place uh, in uh, it was May 2011. Yeah. Hmm. Can you can you guess how many cups I got in my life? How many caps? I mean, trophies. Oh, trophies. Um, you have to have at least a few. I think I spot at least one behind you. It's, it's, it's not top. mine. It's Gabuzian's. It's not yours. Okay. <laughs> uh, Try to get say number. Let's say 20? 20 to Low, 30? No, lower. lower. Yeah. Is it less than five? <laughs> yes. I got just two trophies in my life. <laughs> wow. Do uh, they not have trophies like growing up in... Uh, once when I was in the USA, uh, a coach, a grandmaster coach, I will not tell his name. He was saying, guys, you are everything doing wrong. So here is how we are doing here. We are making tournaments. We are giving trophies to almost everyone. Everyone are happy. Kids are happy. Parents are happy. Us are happy. In Armenia, what you are doing you are trying to work so hard to improve, improve. Just give trophies and everyone are happy. So in my country, it was not trophies. And myself, I didn't uh, win any European or uh, world championships under junior uh, in, in my junior categories. So I had just two trophies in my life and some, some, some Gabuzian have uh, behind that you see. And one day I came, came home, I, I had that two two trophies that my f- mother put it in the uh, lobby when when you enter to, to our home and she was very proud of the trophies mm-hmm. and then one day i came and i took all the trophies all my diplomas and i put put in the shields and my mother was what are you doing i said mom i am very tired i was like 13 or 14 i said i am very tired that everyone are talking to me as a chess player and not as a human they are, oh, you are a chess player, you are Avati Grigorian, and it was Avati Grigorian as a oh, chess player, Armenian champion, etc., etc. Nobody is talking to me as a just human, just just a person. So I took everything, and I never seen my caps anymore. I don't know where they are. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes uh, it's like you don't realize how, how meaningful they can be many years later. It's, it's nice to have like some, yep. uh, some memories from, from childhood. True. Eric, uh, so you... Having trophies was like, I, I believe, childhood like motivation. What were your other motivation to grow farther, or it was just love for chess? Yeah, I think. I mean, early on, I just had a lot of like positive associations with chess. Like it allowed me to travel, and I developed a friends group outside the friends who I made at school. Um, I had like so many chess friends uh, from all over, and I think over the years, it's 
it's also just opened up so many doors um, in terms of just seeing new places, having kind of new experiences. And um, yeah, I think like there's, there's so much that chess has brought to my life that it's, it's hard to identify like all the motiva motivating factors because it does change over time. Um, but of course, when I was younger, it was a lot about competition and I was like towards the top of my, um, uh, the rating list for my age. So I was very competitive with other top players for my age. Um, now of course, like things have changed a lot in recent years. And like when I was 10, I was 1600 and that put me in the top, like maybe top 20 nationally or something, but now, now it's much more competitive. So, um, yeah, I, I think I was fortunate to grow up at a time where I was still, uh, I could be like a very competitive player at that rating. And um, yeah, I, I worked with a lot of different coaches growing up and um, was lucky to have like very supportive parents who took me to so many different events. And um, yeah, I really was able to keep the passion throughout my schooling years and then beyond, uh, beyond high school and college, I'm, I'm still able to keep the passion to this day. Uh Eric, did you have like like almost every child goal to become a world champion? I don't think I ever had that exact goal. Um, I've definitely had like rating goals. Like when I was much younger, I wanted to get to expert and then master. Uh, like by the time I, I reached high school, but um, yeah, I, I don't think world champion was ever like at least a realistic possibility for me um, or something I thought so much of. Um, but I've, I've always had the goal to like try and reach my full potential. And more recently, my goals have been just to enjoy chess and, and to keep the passion and to keep things fresh and interesting for myself. Um, did you ever want it? Like, did you have a goal to become a grandmaster and then you switch your goal to just enjoy the chess? That's a good question. Um, I don't think I was ever so focused on getting to Grandmaster because even when I got to Fide Master, I thought like, oh, wow, I've made it. Like, I don't really like I, I'll be content for the rest of my life if I get if I just stay as a FM. Even when I got to expert, I, I was already like pretty content. And then um, I just kept working and working and um I, I did plateau for a bit. I, I was plateaued around like 2,300 for four to five years. And then um, at some point I had like this pretty big jump and got uh, three IM norms in the span of like a few months or, or two IM norms in the span of a few months back in 2015. And then uh, and got the IM title. And once I became IM, I was uh, also like just thrilled and, um, and thoughts that... Uh, yeah, Grandmaster is still so far away that um, uh, it's it's not going to be my main focus. And I pretty quickly made the realization that I'm not going to be a professional player. At least that's not going to be my primary way of making a living. Um, and it was, I guess, in my last couple of years of university, I, I was studying at Webster University, um, and playing for the Webster chess team under uh, Susan Polgar and surrounded by a lot of grandmasters. But at that point, I was, I guess, more focused on developing other skill sets um, 
beyond just playing chess, I was getting really into teaching and doing like freelance work and kind of building other other skills in terms of like video production and photography and digital media. So um, that kind of manifested over over the years as well. And I've always tried to keep a balance in, in life and not just um, not just be solely focused on playing chess, but having other interests as well. I have been in Webster University in 2019 when I was in the St. Louis and Susan Bolger invited me there. Uh, I had never seen in my life such a chess place that you enter there and you want to do chess. Such an atmosphere, so many books, such a beautiful room. There is Susan Polgar, there are other grandmasters and young players. I have never seen in my life such an atmosphere. So I have this question, when you, when you are around with so many strong players, does it motivate you? Or at the same time, it's like, oh, they are so strong, I am so behind them, I will not get there? Which feeling is, which feeling is more? It was actually a mix. Like I was super grateful to be like kind of the... Uh... Um, one of the lowest rated players in the room, but, um, yeah, at the same time, like it, I think hurt my confidence a bit because we would have training sessions where we're solving like very, very difficult exercises and we would be given maybe an hour to 90 minutes to solve, uh, like eight very difficult exercises. And, um, during these sessions, I would only like get maybe two or three rights while, other players on the team were getting all of them correct. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a mix. And actually during my time at Webster, my rating dropped maybe like 50 points, even though I think I, I really improved and expanded my knowledge as a chess player. I just didn't have great tournament performances, um, maybe partly because my confidence suffered. But, I mean, to be in the same room and just hanging out with these top level grandmasters all the time. I mean, even top players in the world, like there is Laquan Liam, uh, Ilya Nizhnik, Shimonov, Ray Robson, just so many amazing people to learn from that um, is definitely a kind of uh, super memorable experience that, um, and a lot of these players I'm still like good friends with today that uh, it's uh, just such an honor to, to be connected with them. and. And to have them like kind of accessible to ask questions to and, and learn from. So uh, I'm happy that I've, I've kind of went through the experience. Eric, when you were in the Webster University, you were FM or IM already? So I, I fulfilled all the requirements for IM right before I started Webster. So I think I started at Webster in August 2015, and my IM title was approved maybe that September or October. So, got it. Yeah. Uh, so you plat you pl you got some plateau when you you hit plateau when you were uh, F FM level. Yes. Yeah? So many many chess players are hitting plateaus, and they are like, I plateaued. How can I how can I cross it? Do you remember what did you do exactly to cross the plateau? What were the steps? Or it's been too long ago and you don't remember exactly the steps you took? Well, I actually wrote like a whole article on Chess Life Online, uh, uschess.org, like their online uh -huh. article. Um, and I think it's still there. It was... Cool. I will add the link like, in the description. Yeah, it was talk, talk, talk lessons more. from the 2015 Philly Open. And 
that was a tournament where I kind of escaped this rating plateau for however long, like four, four years of being around the same rating. And I had just such a good result jumping um, maybe over 50 points in one tournament. And then, then a couple months later, I played the Chicago Open, and that was one of the best tournaments of my life. Um, I was like half a point away from Grandmaster Norm, also half a point away from tying for first. Like if I won my last round, I would have tied for first uh, with Jeffrey Zhang over like 20 or so Grandmasters who were playing. And in the article that I wrote on, on uh, US Chess, um, I kind of outlined what I did leading up to the tournament, but then also like during the tournament, uh, just kind of have a really strong result. And a lot of what I did was more, um, I would say, improvement based and also mindset based. Like I, I didn't really have a specific rating goal. I was more focused on study goals. And I was putting a lot of time into studying chess, um, especially like this January through May of 2015. I, I I took a break from university, so I was studying at University of Illinois, and that was kind of my gap semester before transferring to Webster. And um, I, I was just working a lot on my chess. I had a few uh, training partners, and for several hours every day for long stretches of time, I was uh, like playing training, playing training games, solving difficult exercises. Um, and reviewing master games, going through chess books. And I think all this study kind of uh, compiled enough to, to translate into a very strong tournament performance. Um, but all of it was kind of done with uh, intent to kind of expand different areas of my play. Like I was playing different openings. I was really trying to get that spark. Um, and it, it definitely paid off. Eric, you said you... Uh, focused on also mindset improvement. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And this this chess mode podcast, I didn't start to have just a chess podcast. I, I, I started it because I felt there is a gap that the chess world doesn't understand the importance of mindset. And that sometimes uh, just one good mindset book can be more effective than 10 chess books. And this was the reason that I started the Chassmod podcast. Tell me, please, mm -hmm. um, how did you work on your mindset? And what were the problems you were feeling in your uh, chess that you wanted to fix? And how did you fix them? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that took me so many years to overcome was dealing with losing a game or dealing with a bad performance. And especially for younger players out there, this can be a very difficult thing to handle in like a mature and healthy manner. Because when I was younger, I like I hated to lose. I was super competitive. I would sometimes cry or, um, or just really get upset, uh, especially games where I make like a one move blunder or lose focus or whatever. Um, but like over time and after losing enough games, I realized that it's, like losing is inevitable and it's it's an essential part to getting stronger and like losing is okay as long as you can reflect and understand what you did wrong and what you can do differently next time and as i 
kind of internalize this concept, I think this helped me approach tournaments with, uh, with just a, a healthier point of view where like, if I lose a game, okay, it's still painful, but at least I can, I can have an approach where I analyze a game. I see exactly what went wrong. Even, even if it's like a basic mistake that I should have known better. Sometimes there's underlying reasons. Like I didn't get enough sleep. I was unfocused. I didn't have like the right thought process. And if you can kind of identify tendencies in what's going wrong and then be able to, um, to minimize these moments where maybe your your mind isn't working the right way, or, or maybe you're you're losing focus, um, then hopefully that can lead to uh, a lot of improvements. So, yeah, I think that, like not only in chess but also in life, like learning how to just learn from your mistakes and also manage your emotions can just make a huge difference in uh, in your overall journey of improvement. It's 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 one of the important skills, yeah, to to learn from what happened and to improve. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's as you said in chess and in life. Uh, this this seems seems very logical, but it's 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 easier to say than to to do it, right? So how how did you came to this awareness? Did you read some book? Did you watch a podcast? Did you talk to some friend who explained you that Eric learned from the mistake, etc.? How did it happen to you? How did you come to such a, such a level of awareness? That's a great question. Um, I don't know if there is any like one thing that helped me with this. I think it was very gradual. I have a lot of like very great coaches growing up. Um, after after my time with uh, Tamara Golove, I, I was working a lot with uh, Grandmaster Dmitry Gurevich who um, is a pretty renowned coach, at least like for players in the, the U.S. He's coached like a lot of young talents and a lot of eventual like national champions for the scholastic level. And I think he, he helped me a lot with mindset. And like with games, like, we would review like a lot of my, uh, almost all my tournament games from the time I was like 1600 all the way up until like I was 2400. And his approach with like going over my games, especially the losses was he would really break down what was going wrong uh, psychologically, but also based on my chess understanding. And it helped me kind of detach from the emotional pain of maybe losing the game or, uh, or having that disappointment and actually focus on what I need to work on to become better. And, I think that really helped and he he was able to identify like kind of the weaknesses in my play um i should also mention yuri shulman was another grandmaster i worked with a lot like he taught a lot of chess camps uh as i was growing up and um uh even after uh after high school and into college like he was giving lessons and also had kind of the same philosophy of of breaking down my uh my tendencies and weaknesses and and kind of giving me the motivation of what i need to do to improve Yuri Shulman, you said, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I saw him recently. He was uh, inducted into the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame, came by St. Louis. It was 2010. Um, I was in the national team of Armenia, and we were going to Olympiad. So I was the reserve player, number five, when they're in the teams. There are Aronian, Sargisian, Akopian. So I was just 
21 year old, so I was shame and it was my first game, the first game I should play. Uh, and I was nervous. I was sitting in the bus. Somehow I sit there and uh, next to me there was no one. I was in my in my brain, still nervous. And then uh, somebody sat next to me and said, hey, how are you doing? Like, I'm good thinking about my first game. And he said, like, you're a bit nervous. Yeah, I know. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm ner- nervous. And he gave his hand and said, nice to meet you. I'm Yuri Shulman. I'm Shulman. And like, oh, oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> so he talked to me. And in a few, in a, I don't know how he talked to me, but in a few minutes, I was okay. I relaxed. He, he, I don't remember exactly the advice he gave me, but I felt I relaxed and and, and I was ready for my first game. So I remember him uh, very well. Um, Eric, uh, learning from the mistakes, uh, it's it's crucial, and you took it from chess to life, right? Mm-hmm. What are the things that you took from chess to life? That's another great question. Um, yeah, I'll, I have to think about that one for a moment. Take your time. I mean, part of it is like embracing the growth mindset of being willing to go outside your comfort zone and embrace challenges rather than kind of just staying within your comfort zone and doing uh doing what's uh maybe what's easy like in order to grow as a chess player or as a human you really need to uh sometimes take risks and experiment and obviously it doesn't always pay off but uh i think it's important to focus on what will benefit you long term rather than just going for like the short term instant gratification so I've tried to make an effort to like keep learning in life. And this was especially important like after graduating from university when I was done with my formal studies. I think it's just easy to uh quit reading books or, or consuming like educational content. Um but like in chess and in life, I think it's important to be just a lifelong student and kind of have that uh, sort of beginner mindset where there's just so much information out there to learn and, and to improve overall. So um, like one of the big big things I did after graduating university that was really outside my comfort zone was actually starting my um, like my Twitch and YouTube channels because... I mean, when I was younger, I was super, super camera shy. I hated public speaking. I was very self-conscious of my voice. And there's this concept, um, I don't know where I've heard it. I, I really wish I could attribute this to someone, but I remember hearing uh, like, there was some quote, like, what if you could turn your greatest weakness into a strength? And that really stuck with me because... Um, I think it was in reference to chess. Like if you're really bad at end games, for example, what if you, you really put in the work and then become great at end games, then hmm. maybe you can really, really boost your game. Same thing with openings. Wow. Some people like don't really study openings, but if you have like very solid opening repertoire. So 
remember like thinking like if I if I got better at like putting myself out there and like actually being able to talk in front of the camera and record content and be more comfortable then okay maybe there's potential with kind of my background in uh, in chess and um, I was also teaching a lot had a lot of private students at the time so I put in a lot of hours uh, like recording content like recording for YouTube and doing live streams where it was really outside my comfort zone like I was still very self-conscious and I would uh, I would kind of get stage fright even just sitting in front of my computer but I still enjoyed it I kind of used chess as as a way to get a bit more comfortable and, and to share my passion with whoever was watching online and um, yeah over the years I kind of just tried to improve as a um, content creator, presenter, communicator. And I think that's, uh, it's definitely helped me to get to where I am today. Which year it was that you started to go to your, from comfort zone to uncomfort zone and start sitting in front of the camera? Uh, it was actually after I graduated university in 2017. 2017. And yeah, when I, like after I graduated, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stick with chess or maybe get a mainstream job or do freelance. But um, I knew it was kind of a, a year to, I, I was finally to take a gap year and just experiment and try things and see what would stick. And when did you realize that, okay, I'm going to become a streamer and content creator or it just, just went with the natural flow? Yeah, it was a bit gradual. Um, probably like the first six months to a year, there was very little return on investment. Mm -hmm. so I was putting out, I was putting in tons of hours into it. And yeah, in the beginning, you don't really get much, especially in terms of like revenue from Twitch or YouTube. So there's a lot of investment in time. But as I was kind of uh, learning the, the ecosystem of, of being a content creator, I think I just, uh, I developed a lot of skills that I didn't have before. And like very gradually, the, the audience kind of built up. And I was also still like coaching a lot. So I, I was supporting myself basically through giving private lessons and, and having Twitch and YouTube as kind of a side project. But then it gradually took over to a point where it was more... Um, made more sense to focus on Twitch and YouTube rather than just one-on-one -on -one lessons because it's more scalable and I could reach a, a larger audience. Eric, so you are international master. You are the top, <laughs> top chess player. Then you are coaching very successfully. There is a line who are, Eric, can you coach us? So you are like good there too. And then you start uh, content creating, but at first you suck. At first, you do so much, and then there is like 500 views. So your ego is getting hard, right? Like, how do you how do you keep going six months, one year, when you are putting so many hours? But there was not that uh, amount of back of for your investment. Yeah, how were you finding that strength to keep going, keep going, when you were not seeing this that that results? Yeah, um, that's another good question. I, I did see the results like very gradually and I think it helped like even having a very small audience who was supportive and 
would kind of give me that early boost in confidence. Because there is definitely, I mean, at the very beginning, obviously, there wasn't like hundreds or thousands of people watching, but maybe there there were like five people watching who who found my my content useful. And that, that was enough of a motivation to kind of keep going and, and realize that, okay, I'm bringing... Um, uh, bringing some positive change to people, helping helping people improve their games, and um, yeah, and over time as things grew, then it was even more of a motivation, and realized there's actually a big responsibility to to be consistent and be a good role model, and um, yeah, I've also tried to just be grateful for the fact that I'm able to make a career out of what I love. And it's um, sometimes a very difficult thing to achieve in life. But um, yeah, I, I try not to take it for granted. You said something very interesting that uh, early supporters, yeah, when you start something, there are even five people who are supporting and always commenting, saying, I love that video. And they are giving kind of inner strength, yeah, to go forward, yeah. how important they are. And Often I see some content creators or other people, they don't realize that and they are thinking that they are even not grateful really, but these early supporters are so important. Uh, you know, uh, I'm having sometimes days at trust mode when I'm coming to the office in a mood, I'm going to do that, that, that. I'm sitting in the meeting room, putting my notes, starting to what I will do today and then I feel I don't want to do. Something, nothing is going on that day. Something is slow. The next day I have the same feeling. I don't do that good. So what I do is uh, whenever I'm getting some great feedback, email, review on the website, some comment under Twitter or under some course. So what I do, I screenshot them. And I put all of that screenshots in a separate folder. And when I'm having these low moments, I'm going there and just starting to scroll. I take, literally take the laptop, go to the garden, sit there, take a coffee. And for some 10 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, I will just scroll. I will scroll, 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 read them. And even when I feel like, come on, we have such a product at Trustmode and there are millions of people who don't know about them. I feel low, but these people's feedback these people's reviews, they are some nice words, some jokes. It gives such a motivation to push forward that you forget, that you forget that about low numbers, you forget putting yourself in the competing mode, like I'm having this amount of views or this amount of students, others having that, that, that. You suddenly get out from that competitive mode and you're like, okay, I'm just growing. Yeah. So how cool are these early supporters and how grateful we should be yeah yeah that, that's actually really nice i've um i actually wish i i, I did something similar because i feel like that's like just a huge motivational boost and it gives you a different perspective too of the, the difference that you're making but um I, I sometimes do this with just like reading the youtube comments and there's just so much like positivity and um yeah it's uh it, it's super nice when people just give like supportive feedback. So, um, Eric, when you started to stream, there was a case when you played a tournament in Trascom and there was an anonymous player. 
you beat that anonymous player and then it kind of gave you a boost, yeah? Tell me that story. Yeah, so this was in 2018, I guess. And like I was already streaming for uh, for several months and I was playing this Lee Chess titled arena and, and the very first game that I played was playing some accounts the username of the account was man with a van and its rating was like 2500 something they had the gm title but i didn't really think of much of it um i ended up beating the player and then later on during my stream my twitch chat was telling me that i had defeated magnus carlson because it, it, it was revealed that this account was actually magnus and okay, he was supposedly playing from a van on his phone. So um, I guess I, I I did unknowingly beat the world champion at the time. And um, he actually ended up winning the tournament. And I was one of only maybe three players who beat him over the course of like two hours. It was bullet chess, so uh, definitely a, a faster time control. But it was still cool to have like defeated Magnus, the first game I've ever played him. And then, then several months later, of course, I like I took the clip from the stream. I put it on YouTube. And November of that year, um, I had like opened up Reddit the first uh, one day, and like the first thing I saw was my video shared of like beating Magnus, and it had like over forty thousand upvotes. It was like on the front page of Reddit as a r slash videos subreddit, and there was just a huge boost to. My viewership on YouTube, I got like half a million views in, in one day and uh, it went kind of mainstream. I think the, the title of the post was like small time chess streamer unknowingly like beats the world chess champion. And it was a nice kind of uh, David versus Goliath type story. And <laughs> that definitely uh, gave some nice uh, exposure for many weeks and months to come um, having uh having an appearance on the front page of Reddit. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. You, you mainly stream on Leeches, right? Not on chess.com. I, I stream on both. Um, I'm not exclusive to any one site, but I do very much like Leeches, and there's a lot of features on Leeches I, I prefer using. So yeah, I'd say maybe 70 to 80% of my streams are, are there. Does it also like it's... After beating Carlsen, it becomes pleasant to play on Leeches, so there is a pleasant memory there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, I've gone on to play Carlsen a number of more games, and he, he now has a lifetime plus score against me. But <laughs> I, I also beat him in like a 960 title arena, so um, it's it nice to at least have a couple scalps against him. But uh, yeah, some very happy memories on Leeches. Eric, you are known as a very nice guy amongst like, uh, the streamers. But at the same time, you are very competitive. And when I see when you, are, when you are talking, solving puzzle, you are in very kind voice, nice. But when you are playing, you are very focused and very concentrated. I have seen some of your streams. And mm -hmm. before, before our episode, I uh, posted on Twitter that I'm going to interview Eric Rosen. What questions? The, would would you ask? And Noel Studer asked this question: Why did you beat him in the OTB tournament, <laughs> three blitz games in the same day? 
Yeah, I've, I've met him uh, actually for the first time earlier this year in Biel, Switzerland. He, uh, he came by and we played some just friendly blitz games, but then we actually played each other in the Biel uh, like blitz side events. And yeah, I really had to try and show no mercy. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I want to say that Noel is like super, super friendly, like he's super outgoing and just uh, a pleasure to meet and interact with. And uh, yeah, I try to but still no, the, but still no mercy, yeah. <laughs> but still no mercy, yeah. Like I, I'm pretty sure I, I filmed like all the games I played him, even the one in the Blitz tournament. And I remember he walked into some like very deep opening preparation, and got like a very bad position, like as white, like pretty much out of the opening. So I was happy to at least catch him off guard. <laughs> um. I like to, to to get to the level as a as a streamer and content creator. It takes lots of lots of tell me what discipline, skills. Like what what are what are, what someone should have to get to that level? Like how did you make it? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the first word that comes to mind is passion. Like mm -hmm. you really have to enjoy it. And I think this also applies to getting good at chess. Like there's a whole discussion between talent and hard work. Mm -hmm. But I think passion is kind of passion. the biggest uh, catalyst for long-term success. So, because if you enjoy what you do, then the hard work kind of just comes naturally. And yeah, a big part of of producing content over the years. I mean, obviously like discipline and, and consistency. Um, but in order to be consistent, I have to stay passionate and be able to kind of keep things fresh and, um, and keep learning and growing as uh, not only a chess player, but also content creator and um, really try and um, yeah, just improve different aspects of, uh, of what I do. So so the first is passion that so comes to things. your mind. Yes. What are, what, what's uh, the second that comes to your mind? Ooh, I'd say consistency. Consistency. Um, yeah. There's definitely been times where I've felt burnout and I've taken breaks, but even after taking maybe a two or three week break from not streaming or posting, like there's always kind of that itch of of coming back into things and finding the routine rhythm. And um, yeah, especially these days with putting out live streams or video content, uh, viewers do sometimes like to kind of make you a part of, of their own daily routine. Like I'm doing this, uh, this series on YouTube right now. It's, uh, it's a speed run, but it's kind of a slower kind of rating climb where I started a, a 400 ELO and then I try and gradually work my way up. And I've done, uh, I guess, about eight episodes so far. And um, people kind of like to see the the progress, and and um, and they're they're constantly saying that I, I really have to post uh, longer episodes and more frequently. So I, I try and live up to it, but I also try and keep balance in my own life as well. Which is difficult, yeah. Often, <laughs> it, it's always a balancing act, yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's important to just also just pay attention to external factors and health and like try and have a, a healthy 
routine of sleeping and eating and exercise. And um, I've noticed like with content creation, but also with chess is sometimes when I'm performing my best, I'm like in a, a good healthy state on a healthy routine. So I think sometimes those are the most important things to focus on. Your passion, consistency, something else like always developing skills or always learning something something else come to your mind yeah like a, a growth start? mindset i would say of like growth having mindset. that hunger to learn and um being willing to step outside your comfort zone because it's yeah it's so easy to maybe find something that works and just have have it be repetitive but then, then that can more easily lead to burnout so i'm always trying to keep things fresh and um, yeah, more recently, like I've, I've kind of been wearing the hat of a chess streamer, but also I've, especially this year, like I've gotten back into playing and kind of combining the two of playing tournaments and then making content out of the recap videos. And that's kind of reignited my passion for higher level chess and just trying to get back into uh, a competitive mode as well. There are so many people who are, uh, not walking the talk they are doing and i'm so happy that you are doing it and the, the thing you said about passion uh it's, it seems you really lived your life with that yeah you always did something that you were passionate about and you didn't whatever you started but you didn't feel passion as for example uh you studied computer science and math but you felt you felt not passionate about it right yeah i've um I'll say I've had like a kind of obsessive personality over the years where I'll get like really into something and sometimes I'll, I'll lose interest at some point. So yeah, my first couple of years at University of Illinois, I was on track to major in math and computer science. Um, but that was still at a time where I really didn't know what I wanted to do long term. And at some point I realized that I was not so into the theoretical portion of my studies like there is a lot of high level math like i was taking some calculus three and linear linear algebra and i had a hard time seeing like the practical value and this is around the same time i was really getting into like digital media like photography and video production and um even like more front-end web development and one of the reasons why i ended up switching universities and ended up switching to Webster University uh, was they offered a program in interactive digital media, which was much more aligned with my interests. And it's not maybe the typical major that most people are even aware of. And at Webster, like maybe there, there's five to 10 other students in my graduating class, but it was something I, I was very into. Like it, it was a, kind of a field that encompassed a lot of different emerging technologies and media um, between web development and video and graphic design and a lot of things that I, um, I really just enjoyed doing. And uh, I was doing a lot of like freelance projects and kind of had a, a side business throughout college of, um, of doing websites or, or photo gigs. And um, then after after graduating and starting my own online brand, it, it really has meshed well with um, kind of having an online presence in, in the chess space. So um, yeah, it's been, um, I think it's, 
been very important to be self-aware and, and realize what, what I enjoy and what I want to pursue. So you've synergized yeah, your two loves, to, to your two passions, chess and this digital media stuff that you are learning in Web, at, at Webster. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's nice to kind of combine two maybe seemingly different areas, but kind of see the overlap in them. Uh, Eric, do you think that this streaming is a competitive thing? I would say inherently live streaming, yes, is it's competitive in the sense that when you're live streaming, viewers only watch one live stream at a time. So it's hard to like usually when you're when you're a live streamer, you're you're competing for viewers' attention. And if you're live streaming while, let's say, dozens of other people are also live streaming, then yeah, naturally it's it's competitive. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes that can lead to conflicts or disputes or, or whatever. Um, but it also can lead to collaborations and way like it allows for people to connect. And um, a nice thing about live streaming, especially the culture on Twitch, is when you finish your live stream, you can send all your viewers to a different stream that's live. That's called a raid on Twitch. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, it allows for people to kind of connect and um, and then also kind of plan ahead and, and support each other. Um, but when you're making content for YouTube, I think that's, I mean, maybe it can still be considered competitive. You're still competing for viewers' attention, but... Um, the, the content on YouTube can also just be more evergreen where you're putting something out there and it's a hopefully a piece of content that you're proud of that people can watch uh, maybe years after you actually release it. And I've noticed this with a lot of my, um, my older instructional videos. Like if I put out a lesson, let's say on the Ponziani opening, then viewers are watching it years from now. And I know I'm kind of going on a sidetrack, but uh, this is this is something I really like about YouTube that maybe doesn't exist on Twitch where it's just live streams where people can um, can watch whenever they want and then, then it's a bit less competitive. So um, I, I mean, generally I try and get along with everyone in the chess world because uh, at the end of the day, we're all kind of sharing common goals and, and common passion too so that's very important uh in a minute i will ask you why i asked this i tell you why i asked this question sure but for a second i will ask you one other question earlier i asked you uh what did you what did you take from chess to life and now this question is what you took from chess to life that you wish you didn't <laughs> any I negative things that okay. chess taught you Negative things that chess has taught me. Wow. This is a curveball. I know it's a difficult question. Think about that. Take your time. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of like the Stafford Gambit equivalent of life. <laughs> Man, where I like intentionally do something dubious. All right. Uh, uh, might have to come back to this one. Well... I thought about that recently. Uh, yeah. Recently, I mean, like this year, maybe. So, I felt that uh, 
just teaching us to be competitive and we are playing all the time this zero-sum, harsh zero-sum game. And you are always like win-lose mindset. Mm-hmm. There is no win-win. It's just win-lose, win-lose, win-lose. And while it's good sometimes to be competitive in life and it takes you somewhere, but at the end, this competitive, even if you are getting to becoming Olympic champion, it is not the true, true happiness. It's like you are getting goals, but if you are, if they are not aligned with your values, it's not true happiness. So I felt that often we are in life being still competitive, where we could be collaborative and win more than when we are competing. And you talked a few minutes ago about being collaborative, that yes, streaming is competitive, but at the same time, it, it can be collaborative. And once I posted in, on Twitter that uh, many chess players are starting to become a content creating, con- become content creators, and they struggle to switch from competitive mode to collaborative mode. And that, that this, is true. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that. And this is that is this is what I noticed in you that you did that switch very nice. Mm-hmm. I see that if we, if we're talking about competitiveness, yeah, from outside world, somebody might say that you and Gotham Chess are competing, etc. You and Bota Sisters, you and Nemo and others, but you are collaborative. I see you are making lots of videos together, you are retweeting each other, you are friends together. So maybe while some people are trying to compete with you when they are in Twitch live, when you are live at the same time, you are having, a, it seems to me, tell me if I'm wrong, it seems to me that maybe naturally, maybe it's your values, that you found this nice balance when you are still, you understand you should be consistent. There is some competitiveness for who will watch the chess lover. But it's at the same time, you have this collaborative mindset. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a very important kind of culture to embrace of like kind of supporting each other. Because, I mean, also being a, a solo content creator can be very isolating at times. And um, there can be very few people especially within short like proximity that are doing the same thing that you're doing. So um, I actually just saw the Botez sisters recently. They uh, made a, a short trip to St. Louis and recorded some content. But uh, yeah, we were talking about like having, like there should really be some kind of like support group for chess streamers or chess content creators where we can kind of support each other and bounce off ideas and get feedback because um, yeah, something like that I don't think really exists. And I think there'd be a, a lot of benefit to just helping each other in the back end with um, even simple like social media strategy and uh, just tips because like, the landscape is continually evolving. It can be very hard to keep up and deal with the stresses and external pressures. So um, yeah, I'm all about like kind of like, kind of collaborating but also supporting other creators and there's a lot of friends with or friends that I have that are kind of doing the same thing I'm doing of putting out content and um, it's so nice to be able to just bounce off ideas and um, 
and yeah, give each other feedback into how we can we can improve. This co collaboration, you know, it seems that chess is like all about competitiveness, yeah. But mm -hmm. I, I I think like even in chess, if you want to get to go like really top, even there you should have, even if not like even if not like fifty fifty balance. You should have, you should still have some part of collaborative mindset. What do I mean? So, you should have some training partner with whom you genuinely help. You share your novelties, your analysis. Mm -hmm. You might have chess friends with whom you are sharing your ideas. They are sharing their ideas. I remember there was this one case. Um, there's again Samvel, uh, Armenian grandmaster, was playing some tournament. He, pl and he played some novelty during the game and he crushed the opponent and then i asked like how do you come up with that i said we were just walking during one of the chess camps and another grandmaster we were just talking and he told about this idea so i didn't have time to analyze but i just played so this was the this collaborative mindset that even just walking a grandmaster shared his novelty with others and this That's is the great. way they are growing mm -hmm. fast fast and when people are asking me mm, how armenia won so many uh team championships three times olympics being not in the top five with rating winning world uh, world championship i felt that that's it we are very collaborative we are helping and people are getting interest too much competitiveness too much competitive they are oh i found this great book i'm not going to share with my friend this great book i will keep it for myself mm -hmm. i found this novelty i will keep it for myself i found this there, there was one very funny story you know when initially i i always start, we started chess mode you know initially all our courses were free initially it was unlocked the first month it was unlocked I thought like I will put it unlocked, like everyone can let, let them take value. People will share with each other. People will know about chess mode. Then we will monetize with other way. There will be advanced courses, etc. So the first few days it was going very fast. People were sharing, and then the share stopped. It didn't go. It didn't go further. Uh, I didn't understand what's going on until one day a guy sent me an email, and he said. These courses are amazing with Grand Prix and French Bishop D3 variation. I am winning everyone at my chess club and I hope for a long time they will not find chess mode. <laughs> so then I felt like, oh, this is something strange, yeah? I tried to copy this model from other industries where somebody created a nice content, gave it for free and it went viral. People at chess, they are competing with each other, even they if they are keep friends. Their secret tricks uh, as secret as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and while they're real, the real secret yeah can be being collaborative. When you share something, when you give and you get, this is like one of the laws laws of attraction. Yeah, give, just give, 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 and then you get back. And I felt that chess world. Uh, even the, even the chess world doesn't understand the power of collaborativeness. And I felt mm -hmm. like the beginner content creators, they also don't understand that it's not about competing. It's about collaboration. And then you just create win-win, yeah? What do you think about all this? Yeah, I, I love all the anecdotes you, you just shared. Um, I mean, I think this is, a, this is one of the reasons I really like the team chess formats because it, it really... 
mm. of really motivates you to support your team members and I mean attending Webster and competing for the team. Um, I mean, everyone was so generous with sharing preparation and there were different players who specialized in different openings that I'd try and just pick their brain and absorb their knowledge and they would share novelties and it was great. And um, even before, um, before Webster, when I was at the University of Illinois, I, I competed for their team and it was all student run. We didn't really have a, a main coach, but um, we all worked together a ton and um, all supported each other. And we actually qualified for the final four of college chess two years in a row. And I think a, a big part of that was kind of just supporting our teammates and um, yeah, having that mindset that uh, you're going to help everyone around you improve. And that's, uh, I think that can be so useful in, um, in, in chess, but in so many areas of life. When I stopped professional chess, I decided, okay, I'm going to play any only in blitz rapid tournaments and in team championships. Mm. Because team championship, as you said, it's different atmosphere. Yeah, it's, sure. it's different feeling when you are sitting. Uh, I remember when even even with like we are going to individual European championship, and you are going with Armenian team. You have like ten grandmasters. You are going to individual or individual European championship. You lose the game. People maybe will give you some compassion and talk to you, try to help, but there is no really any connection. You lose, it's just individual. You lose, I win, I, like, I, I'm happy I won, yeah? In team, it's different. It's it's, 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 it's different feeling when you have, when you have it. Um, any advice, Eric, you have for uh, people who start content creating, streaming, putting on YouTube, and they want to grow their channel, any advice except being passionate, being <laughs> consistency, and having growth mindset? Yeah, as you say. Are we today. are we talking about chess content creators or just any any yes, creator in yes. general? Yes, chess. I'm speaking chess. Yeah, with chess, it definitely helps to. I mean, chess is such a vast game, and there's so many different kind of niches and styles that you can have as a chess content creator. And like sometimes in the beginning, when you're first getting started, it might not be clear what kind of niche that you're you're trying to fulfill. Um, and for me, early on, like I I was experimenting experimenting with a lot of different things, but like over time, I realized I, I like I kind of had a few things that helped identify my brand. Um, so I think it's important to kind of be self aware in the beginning, and then then try and at least identify what the branding elements can be for you. What kind of, uh, what kind of things will play to your strengths? Uh, for me, of course, I love like the tricky openings and uh, gambits and kind of the uh, uh, stalemate traps or whatever. There, there's been a, a handful of things that maybe people these days in the chess world will associate with me. Uh, associate uh, me with but, stalemate, yeah. On yeah. my queen, Stafford Gambit. Stafford Gambit. Early on, I, I was a huge yeah. proponent of, of uh, London opening, London, London system, yeah. and yeah, Ponziani opening, and um, yeah, I think th th those are a lot of the big ones. <laughs> By the way, you know, uh, at chess mode, I had to because we are playing E4 openings, yeah, 
Uh, sorry oh. about that, but I had to create the reputation of the Stafford Gambit course. Uh, I, I saw the video. You did a good job. Said, uh, yes. Yeah, explain Thanks. it. <laughs> but I told there, this is, this is according to Engine, it's the most unsound Gambit you will ever see. Mm-hmm. But it is the most dangerous and yeah. it is one of the most practical gambits if you are just want to play chess, have fun. There are so many dangers when <laughs> against, against Stafford. And myself initially when I saw these gambits at there, I was like, no, no, like this is not no not they don't sound good. But then when you realize how practical and dangerous they are, you understand that, oh, wow, that's, that's, that it's, even if Anchin says it's a reputation, you play this, 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 these moves and you get advantage, most of the people will not know that this is, this is the moves. And they just do something right. else, natural moves, and they are getting lost immediately. So I... That's what drew me to the opening. Like there's dozens of traps and for an unprepared player, it's so hard to f- figure out what to do correctly. Uh, Eric, you said niche, find your niche in, in chess streaming. Well, well, I understand that because I was in the business, I, I, I understood that. M- many of our listeners might not very well understand what do you mean you are streaming chess. You're like, what do you mean find your niche? T- yeah, that's yeah, true. Um, I mean, when you think of a lot of people who have been successful in the chess content creation space or even spaces outside chess, um, part of it is having kind of a unique personality that's that's catered to a certain audience. Um, I think there's a lot of like chess content creators who have hit the mainstream who are like very high energy and like when you watch them, you you feel this this energy kind of radiating through the uh, through the device that you're watching them on. Um, like chess bras yeah? with the what's that? Uh, it it came to my mind, Pepe Cuenca. Oh yeah, Pepe with the uh, like a high energy Spanish commentary, like as if you're watching a football or soccer match. Yeah, um, or chess bras with the the techno music, or uh, Botez sisters too, just uh, mm-hmm. super high energy. Um, but then there's like, like for me, that wasn't so authentic. It's like it's so important to be true to yourself and like be authentic and like when I was getting into Twitch and YouTube, like um, kind of the stereotypical content creator would be that high energy. Uh, like I, I don't even want to embarrass myself trying to like impersonate the that high energy voice, but um, for me, like I kind of embrace the more calm, relaxing, like kind of mellow style that actually attracted like a, a lot of people who who say that they they like to watch my videos to relax and some people fall asleep to my videos. And um, over time, like that felt more true to like how I, how I like to make content. Um, And there's other creators like uh, I think Ben Feingold is a great example. Who's just like super funny and has a lot of amazing like one liners and uh, a lot of his chess lessons sometimes just feel like a extended comedy sketch, and like he was a big kind of role model. I, I would watch in the early days, like his lectures for St. Louis Chess Club, and then eventually his own channel too. Uh, just super funny guy, um, and also like John Bartholomew being super instructive and really being beginner friendly. So I think there's a lot of kind of personalities, personality styles that you can embody as a content creator. What you said about authenticity, it is, it is really something I noticed in you. I have not uh, talked to all, to all famous content creators, but whoever I talked, I, I was like, 
wow, you are so different. I, I, it was like feelings that you are talking with someone else. You saw them mm-hmm. during the streams and then you are talking live on Zoom call and it's it's totally different person. And in your case, I think you are the first one that I met and like, wow, it's just the same person. The way he is doing the streams, the same way he is making videos, the same way he is. And what you said about style, it's really very, very important, I think, because many be- many beginners who are starting it, I, s- I feel they are copying maybe sometimes unconsciously, but I can notice, oh, this girl is copying that girl. This guy is copying that with the style they feel like this is the way to do. While, as you said, it's important to be authentic and find your style, yeah? Not copy, just find your style uh, and do that. And tell, tell about niche a little bit. So, for example, you said that your niche was people who are probably, who love Gambit, yeah? Uh, who love... Yeah, so... If you if you look across different channels, there's different um, types of content that uh, creators will make. Um, I could give a few examples. Like, for example, one of the most prominent YouTube channels is Agenmater. Yes, and he kind of carved out the the niche of of making the recaps of like high level tournament games. He, he was covering like all the the current games in in the chess world and breaking them down at a level that just a pure chess beginner could understand and enjoy and he was also like putting out daily content in the the early days um beginning of his channel and i think that allowed him to to just grow a lot and uh i guess before like gotham chess he was uh like by far the (laughs) the most followed creator um, but then so there's other channels that will have perhaps a more, uh, more specific approach. Like there's a channel, uh, hanging pawns mm-hmm. and that's really been a, an approach about documenting, documenting his journey, like starting as kind of an amateur player and showing kind of what approach he's taking to up his game and achieve like master level and beyond so that can be very interesting for viewers where it's not just like a lesson video but it's more documenting the process and uh there's there's someone who i used to follow like years ago only for a brief phase uh you probably know the name is gary vaynerchuk yeah Um, and he would give a lot of like advice in terms of content creation and social media and he would always say don't create but document and that sometimes can allow you to just be more authentic is if you're documenting the process then you don't really have to worry too much about creating something from scratch so that's i think an approach that a lot, Very of, interesting. Uh, a lot of people Do- take is document again versus processing yeah strong so it also helps to like kind of see what's out there and uh and consume content in a mindful way where you're you're getting inspired from other creators and if you're a chess content creator it's it's good to kind of be aware of what the other chess content creators are doing but also what creators are doing outside the chess space and see how maybe you can integrate ideas let's say in in the space of like tennis or other sports or other other um, 
areas and, and see how maybe you can apply that to chess. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of approaches you can kind of take these yeah. days to get inspiration. So since we are speaking about advice, let's for a second come back to the chess. Uh, like chess improvement, it's a very big topic and it's difficult to give this uh, mm -hmm. question what do you think the ways to improve because for every level is different if you have two hours and you have eight hours there is different approach etc etc sure. uh, but still uh, like you said for the for the content creating yeah you said a few things passion consistency growth mindset yeah you said three things do you have something like that universal three four things that applies for every level in chess improvement I love the question. I, I need a moment. There's there's definitely one thing that comes to mind immediately, yeah. Um, which I guess I'll, I could start with is is self awareness, is being able to reflect on yourself, like what you do well, what maybe you, you don't do so well, and also understanding how you learn best. A lot of people like ask me like, what's the best chess book or what's the best way to improve. And a lot of it depends on the individual, even like which coach should I work with? And I mean, sometimes to become self-aware, you need to try a bunch of different resources and see what resonates with, with you best. Some people learn really well from books. Some people learn well from video courses. There's some coaches that work really well with a certain type of student or vice versa. So. Um, I mean, being able to reflect and, and understanding like how you learn best, I think is a super important skill and can really, I mean, it can lead to a lot of improvement if you I, identify like the right resources that work well for you and then, um, and then go through with them. So yeah, Which is very, diffi is very difficult to do. Yes. Being self-aware and objective. It is, yeah, because sometimes it, it's also a matter of like addressing what you're not so good at and kind of reflecting on painful moments or, or kind of moments of failure. Um, and yeah, like ha having like the, uh, the mental toughness to relive like a, a painful loss and, mm -hmm. and understand like the mistakes that you made, whether they're understanding based or psychological based. And then, um, but then identify like how you can fix them for the future. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. We have the first self being self-aware. What comes to your mind else, which is kind of universal. Yeah. I don't want to like overlap with my answers to the previous question. Well, um, it, 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 it can it can be it can be. So if it's like still yeah. passion, it's probably still true. Yeah, you should have passionate about that. Like passion, yeah. Like if you're, I mean, what I've noticed with a lot of players is sometimes they'll lose a passion because they're they're not really mixing things up or they're they're playing like the same exact opening every game or just like binging bullet games and um and not uh, not experimenting enough and. I mean, for me, one way I've managed to stay passionate with chess is just by expanding my opening repertoire to a point where I'm super excited to like learn new weapons and kind of gather an arsenal of of different interesting 
maybe sometimes dubious, but maybe just sometimes offbeat variations that I can surprise opponents with. And um, I mean, recently, my most recent tournament in uh, in Qatar, the Qatar Masters, I was I was just really enjoying myself because every single game, like I had a new weapon prepared, and I I was spending a lot of time with preparation and um, and. I mean, every single game I was playing like higher level competition. So it felt like there was no pressure and I could just enjoy myself. And I think part of finding your, uh, your optimal form is just really enjoying yourself. And I think that's when the mind can work at its best. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, kind of having, having that, that love for what you're doing and not being result oriented, but being, mm-hmm more learning oriented can really take you a, a long way. Yeah. So passion still works here just as yeah. it was working for that. It's growth mindset still same, right? And so, but we're, okay. So we're talking about chess improvement. I, I guess I'll, I'll say something that a lot of people overlook in chess. And I think I've, I, I alluded to it earlier, but I can expand on it. And that's just health, like overall physical, and mental health is, I think, so, so important. And maybe this overlaps a little bit with like passion, having like the right mental uh, uh, mental approach. But um, I think part of like being a good chess player is, um, is being able to play chess when you're in your peak mental and physical form. So on good days, a player could maybe play two or 300 points above their ELO, but on bad days, they can play much below. And okay, of course, this is why ratings fluctuate. This is sometimes when you, this is sometimes why you lose or gain a hundred points in a single event. But um, I think if you're, if you're very focused on just optimizing your sleep and diet and exercise, also having balance, like not, not putting in too much time in chess and burning out, but having other things that you're interested in, um, that can really put you in a, a good place leading up to a tournament. And I, I kind of felt this way my most recent event, like in um, in Qatar, like a lot of things came together. Like I was sleeping well during the event. Um, I had I, I went through this phase like for basically starting in May where. Um, I was walking 10,000 steps a day and this was kind of my form of, of, of getting like consistent daily exercise. And I had a maybe 120 day streak before one, one, one day I, uh, I got to like 1130 PM and I, I couldn't quite make the, the 10,000 steps. Wait, wait, so 10,000 steps you track with your smartwatch? With or my smartwatch. With the, yeah. It, it'll yeah. track how many steps I, I walk mm-hmm. each day. So at some point I realized there's days where like, if I'm playing a tournament, it's not practical to walk, to wear the watch the whole day and walk 10,000 steps. So I've been a bit more lenient on myself. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. I'll come back to that. So there was one funny story. My friend, my friend, uh, who was the second of Aronian during the tournament, he he said that. Uh, so he noticed that uh, Anand was climbing with the floor. So he's going from the first floor. He's mm. walking to the tenth floor. He's coming back. Going tenth floor. He's coming back. And he asked, like, "What are you doing?" Uh, and Anand said, "Like, 
unfortunately during this tournament uh, they they don't have a gym they don't have a place where i can do some physical activity I so see. i'm walking with the floors going <laughs> going and coming back so you you are doing this physical physical how many days streak you kept 120 you said it was yeah it was definitely over 100 um I, I have this app on my phone, like my watch and phone synchronized. So it's this pedometer app. Uh, it's called Pedometer Plus Plus. And it will, like if I'm wearing my watch or having my phone on me, it will track how many steps I'm taking. Where, where, where did you get this idea from to, to, to do this, this 10,000 steps uh, and why you do that? So it's actually, uh, I, I'm in a small like friends group. Uh, we, we have a small Facebook chat. And the, the name of the Facebook group chat, it's called 10,000 Steps. Um, I'll say like who's in it. It's uh, International Master Kostya Kavutsky, uh, Tatev Abrahamian, and uh, Katerina Nemsova. So we're, we're <laughs> all chess players. Um, at the time, we were all in St. Louis. And we were trying to just hold each other accountable to, um, to this 10,000 Steps a Day goal. And I think it was for the month of May we had the challenge where everyone in this group had to walk 10,000 steps a day. And if anyone failed, then that person would have to take everyone else out for coffee. <laughs> but that was enough to, uh, to make sure people were held accountable. And who, 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 who was taking it the, for the coffee most? Tatev Abramian? <laughs> so at least for that month, I don't think anyone missed their steps. Um, but then in subsequent months, then we had other kind of challenges and, and ways. Like we each had our kind of personal goals. So um, we were trying to improve each other with, uh, with every month. Um, so it, it does help to have like, I guess, accountability partners where mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, friends mm -hmm. or anyone who's trusted can try and hold you accountable to whatever you're, you're trying to achieve. And why did you come up with this idea, 10,000 steps? I still didn't get it. Like, why not one, one, one hour run or something? Like, why 10,000 steps? From where is the idea? Yeah, I think walking is easy. And, like, in St. Louis, uh, we're, like, we're in the area, like, of the chess club. And um, a few blocks away is this big park. It's called Forest Park. Yes. And it's, uh, it's such a yeah, nice place to place. walk and just kind of immerse yourself in nature. And there's a zoo. And... Um, also, there, there's a YouTuber who I follow. His name is Matt Diavella. And earlier this year, he, he made a, a whole video. Like He sometimes will do these 30-day challenges. So he did a 30-day challenge of, of walking 10,000 steps a day. And I think I saw that video in like February or March. But eventually, like enough, uh, enough motivation built up to actually tackle that challenge. Got it, got it. What you said, it's so interesting uh, how important is the mental and that in ma when you are both good in physical and mental and often you can play much better you that you can think think about. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you have seen, but do you remember the, the slogan of Chessmode? What is it? Oh, dear. I'm on your email list and I've like, I've consumed a lot of, a lot of the openings courses, but Oh, I don't think you, you which one? The... Tell, tell me which one, which which courses have you watched already? So, oh man, it, it was a few months ago, but I I, I definitely watched this um, uh, Trumpowski course. 
Actually, mm-hmm. the Trumpowski course helped me in my game against Anna Kramling. Because, oh. uh, she, she tried to surprise me with Trumpowski, and I just used the chess mood prep against, against her, and I got a great position. You won it? Um, I won it, yeah. yeah. Good, we played good. in Reykjavik back in April. But also, like, the E4 course, um, like, the, the high-level repertoire of... With Knight C3, yeah, because you also uh, played Knight C3, C3 Sicilian. Yeah, 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 maybe you've seen my, my more, like, recent games. I, I use this a lot. So you, you and then like, also yeah? Accelerated Dragon, repertoire. too. Accelerated Dragon. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of... It's, like, so nice to have access to it because, like, whenever I'm preparing for an opponent, I'll, sometimes I'll just ask myself... If I play the chess mood repertoire, what will we go into, and are they vulnerable in this? And then sometimes I'll I'll use it for like inspiration and uh, and finding some new opening ideas. Wow, man, it's it's, it's so interesting to hear. I I I, ha- I knew that you are watching sometimes, but I didn't <laughs> know that you know overall our chess mood opening repertoire and it's, it's so cool, like your openness and humbleness and saying, I- I'm just using chess mood opening repertoire because many many grandmasters are using it. But they mm-hmm. are not say, not telling it. Uh, they sure. are they, they might do somewhere in our novelty, and they are playing all chess mode opening repertoire. But they are like, oh, I found that myself, which it was recorded like three years ago. It's 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 very nice to see your humbleness. And do you watch some middle game courses as well, or mainly openings? It was mainly openings, yeah, mainly openings. yeah. Because I like I would use it as kind of preparation for specific opponents, and then Got it. Th- there were times where, like I, I had a few games earlier this year where I was playing the the Sicilian is black, and my opponent like surprised me, and then after the game I realized, oh, like. Chess mood has a whole like video lesson on this exact surprise that I wish I got a little bit further. So, yeah, it's part of the learning experience. Got it. Got it. Okay, coming back to that mental part. So I will recall sure. you the 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 slogan of chess mood is what what we were speaking about the mental side. Yeah, the slogan is right mood, right move. Okay, yeah, I've definitely heard that that before. Yes, yeah. yeah. So when you are I in the right that. mood, when your mental state is there, you're I put the analogy with minions. I said, like, imagine there are one million minions in your head. Sure. If, do you remember? Yeah, it's from James Altucher. Uh, I, I, I love the interview with uh, James Altucher. Yeah. As, uh, I listened to it in March of this year. And okay. I still remember, like, driving in the car and I had it on, like, in the car system. And, um, yeah, like you were explaining the minion analogy. And I, minion. I, yeah, I yeah. It. So it's like when when all these minions are with you, they all want to play chess. You do you mm-hmm. do good. And when some some of your minions are sad, some are in the beach just laying there and having coconut drink. Some minions are just don't sure. care about chess. It's difficult <laughs> to play. So mental, physical, and this is this is the. Have you read the book uh, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? I've heard of it and classics. Steph, Stephen Covey. Yeah, I I don't have it in. I, I actually I don't read books these days. I I listen to books on Audible. But oh, okay. I don't think I have that one in my Audible library. So okay, so the seventh habit called sharpen the soul, and it is like mainly sharpen your four basic areas. So mm-hmm. it is uh, physical. It is spiritual. It is mental and it is emotional. So these four are four things. And I remember when I was interviewing James Altucher, he said the same thing when 
he from become from being a multimillionaire when he hit the bottom bottom of his life and he was thinking about suicide he came back to, to life through these four things uh, every day daily doing physical activity he was doing some other thing you are doing like 10000 steps working on his physical working his mental spiritual and emotional and this is what i felt like chess players often miss this importance they think it's just learning chess reading one more book watching one more course and missing all the parts that with mindset you can do how it's important like the foundational can... aspects which affect every other area every yeah yeah, yeah this right. is like how how you can just boost your brain and this is mm. like we, we can't i said it like already again so this is why i started the chess mode podcast and the people I'm interviewing is uh, like the, my next guest is Jim Quick, the the guy who wrote the uh, Limitless, the, the bestseller book, and mm -hmm. how to boost the brain. I was interviewing Ben Greenfield, and he was telling us what ki what kind of things we should eat before the game, uh, during nice. the game, what should we drink, what should we do after the game. I'm having like Sean Stevenson who will tell us how to sleep, what's the way to sleep, deep sleep quality sleep etc and unfortunately people are often missing this this thing and thinking it's just one more chess books one more thing so uh i'm not going to ask you this question what are your recommended books why i will not ask this because i think <laughs> people already are buying so many books and never reading them and also there are true, right there are so many opinions and they are buying one more book one more book never finishing it uh, so I will ask you instead another question. Uh, what are the books like that you listen? Yes, I understood you don't read much. You listen mainly. Mm -hmm. What are the non-chess books that you think if the chess players read it, it would boost their chess? Like they, it would boost their mindset and the aspects that it's related to improving chess. That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the books which does mention chess, even though it's like, it's more a book about learning. It's it's called The Art of Learning by Josh Waskin. Josh Waskin. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it just talks a lot about like mindset and, and kind of the um, the process of, of being a beginner in anything and then going from beginner to master. And Josh narrates the audiobook and it's uh just such a pleasure to listen to do, do, do you know him personally no i don't i've never met him i think he's based tried, in new york though i tried to get in touch with him because he was in he he he, he was a chess master he then switched to mm -hmm. martial arts so we both had very similar background and then he switched to business i wanted to to connect him but i couldn't okay so josh waskin the art of learning yeah do i say the headline correct the art of learning Art of Learning, yes. Art of Learning, okay. What else? Yeah. Um, there's one, I'm trying to find the name of the author. It's it's called Flow, and maybe you've you've heard of it. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Flow, um, there are a few, few books about flow. It's just, it's just a flow, yeah? It is, it is the name? Yeah, um, it's like the... Oh, the the the, the surname <laughs> that is very hard to by very Mahali. hard to, yeah, yeah, actually Chik, the surname is like impossible to pronounce. Chikmentik, Chikmentikhali, yeah, something like that. Chikmentikhali sounds like a good attempt. Yeah, um, po 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 Polish guy, yeah, from Poland. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I I listened to this book a couple of years ago, but mm-hmm. um, it talks about kind of this this mental state that I think will resonate with a lot of chess players, where like you're kind of in the zone and like nothing else in the world is uh, everything is turned like, off, and you are everything just, else is you turned off. Board. Yeah. Yes. And this is what kind of brings people the most happiness and fulfillment is when they they can opt or when they maximize uh, instances where in, where they're in this flow state. And um, yeah, if if you're a chess player and you kind of understand what the flow state is and how to get there, then I think it can be very impactful in um, actually allowing you to play the best chess possible. Mm-hmm. Cool. So flow. Um, <clears throat> there's there's another one called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Yeah. And yeah, this is one it. which maybe you're aware of too. Yeah. But it's kind of the, the main point is how to do meaningful work in a world that's just filled with distractions. And there's a similar book too, um, which I listened to more recently called Stolen Focus. I forget the author's name, but I'm sure people can can find it. Um, which also kind of focuses on this concept of um, of how we live in a world where, like, we're constantly being consumed by our mobile devices and um, getting always getting these notifications, and how to try and live a life where you're you're doing more meaningful work and um can focus on like one thing at a time and, and really mm-hmm. focusing on like quality work and i think as a chess player like when you're studying chess or even playing chess online it's just so easy to be distracted especially if you're doing it from a home environment or or coffee shop where there's a million things going on at once and um yeah i think like sometimes we have to take a step back and actually ask ourselves how how can we optimize our own environment to to be the most productive and i think these books do a great job of like diving into kind of how to how to improve like these uh very important kind of aspects of your life of doing meaningful work and and staying focused so eric do do you think about writing a chess book one day it's crossed my mind i'm I've actually struggled with writing over the years. Like, even though it it always feels good to like put out an article, or um, I've done like a few pieces for like chess magazines, but I've struggled with just the writing process because so, I kind of have this overly perfectionist approach when it comes to writing, and I've really enjoyed like over the years. I've I've just enjoyed the notion of producing video content because there's i think less pressure to be overly perfect with uh with what i say but it's not a question that maybe someday i'll i'll release some kind of book or memoir or something but um at least there's no no short-term plans for it Uh, do, do you still put goals for yourself or you are just going with the flow and what and what you are doing Yeah, I think my goals are a bit they're definitely not results oriented. Um 
I mean, I think more recently I've actually just been going with the flow and trying to like at least enjoy every every aspect of like career-wise and personal life and everything. Um but yeah, I mean people ask me all the time like are you trying to become a grandmaster? What's your rating goal or whatever? And really I'm just trying to uh to keep the passion and keep learning as as a human and um keep kind of discovering new things that I'm passionate about too. So uh like it, it can be very refreshing to to take a break from chess once in a while and and explore things that maybe I'm not so good at that I, I want to try and improve in. Um as as maybe you know I, I recently played this like poker tournament poker. and it was like completely new uh new experience for me. Um and I'm happy to I, I know maybe this is going on a tangent, but um it was definitely a highlight of my year in my life uh so far that uh back in it was October first, I was invited to this World Series of Poker online main event tournament. Um Alexandra Botez had like some connections and she invited uh five other content creators to stream and compete in the event. And um for maybe two or three weeks leading up to the tournament, I just immersed myself in like poker theory and I had never played a, a poker tournament before online or in person. I've only played like very small stakes cash games. So I got very into the whole like rabbit hole on YouTube of instructional poker videos and I was watching Jonathan Little and learning about like the GTO strategy and trying to learn the range charts of when to shove and when to fold wow. when you're short stacked and everything. Jo Jonathan Little so. was one of my favorites 10 years ago when I was starting. Oh wow. Uh, okay. So he was he, he's still producing yeah the content. I mean, he has so much evergreen content that yes, like yes, I was yeah, practicing yeah. a little bit. Then I there would be areas of the game of like I would search for like how to play certain hands or how to play with certain sack sizes, and then of course ICM too, which is a whole thing that's kind of unique to tournaments. So it was so refreshing to kind of be to feel like a complete beginner in this whole new world and ecosystem of poker. And, um, of course it's a lot different from chess cause there's a lot of variance and, um, a lot of people argue there is some luck involved. And of course, like there's things that you can't control, uh, that's different from chess where like, it's a perfect information game and you can kind of see everything in front of you. But, um, yeah, I mean the, the poker tournament, like it went incredibly well. I, I did get lucky, like a few of the early hands I doubled up and, I eventually uh, made it to the second day of the tournament, which um, ended up netting me a, a cash prize of like 14, some cash prize in the five figures. Um, but then there's, there was also this like streamer challenge of whoever lasted longer among the six streamers would get an additional oh, $35,000. Oh, you are first. So. So I took first among the streamers, yeah. Among streamers, so, yeah. So the prize ended up being like <laughs> about $46,000, which uh, was just wow. nothing I could wow. have ever imagined, uh, wow. for, especially my first poker event. But super grateful to even just have the invite to play. 
What you said, it's, it's also resonates with learning new openings. Yeah? And when, whenever you are getting in the state where you are, I know what I don't, what I don't know, it's, it's exciting. Because often you are in the state when you don't know what you don't know. And when you are sure. learning, oh, I learned this new opening. Oh, I learned this. Probably there are many things I don't know. You are in the excited mode. When you are playing a new game of poker, you learn few rules, you learn few things, few concepts, and you, wow, this is a new world. You are getting into that excited mode, and it's very interesting to live that moment, right? Yeah, it's super motivating. And like this tournament that I played in guitar, like, I was so excited because, I mean, for a lot of my online chess, I just played the London opening, and it's probably my biggest strength. But uh, for almost all my white games in Qatar, I was playing an E4 repertoire. And just so many so many positions and variations like I've never explored before that um, I found so interesting and a lot of like kind of tricky surprises that opponents were just not expecting. So... Um, yeah, it's nice to have that feeling in chess because you not only learn a lot, but it's uh, it's like a nice surprise value too because it's like it's not something opponents can be prepared for. Yeah, you also play tennis, yeah, uh, Eric. You, you, yeah, you... yeah, avid tennis player. Uh, I play a lot in St. Louis with Ray Robson, and um, there's a lot of chess players who who enjoy tennis, and um, I, I actually played in the. Uh, the it was called the World Chess Tennis Championship. It, it was a hybrid tournament. I I don't know if uh, maybe you found this online. Say, say it again. World World what World Tennis? It was a World Championship for chess tennis. For chess tennis, kind so of, it is. Like kind of chess similar boxing? to chess boxing. <laughs> yeah. So the format of the tournament. I mean, there were only maybe thirty competitors. Uh, the way it worked is there were two kind of separate uh, Swiss tournaments. There was seven rounds of tennis, so seven tiebreakers against um, different opponents, and then seven rounds of rapid chess. And then the top four combined scores then competed in a hybrid format match. Mm. So I was actually lucky enough to finish uh, fourth among the field. So I moved on. Uh, I got to play uh, Grandmaster Sebastian Maze in from the France. semifinals from France. Yeah, yeah. And um, the the semifinals, it featured a format kind of similar to chess boxing, where it was six points of tennis and then six minutes of chess until either you reach, I think, 18 points in tennis or the chess game ends. We were playing with like a 15-minute time control. So... It was actually like, it was super cool. I, I really enjoyed it, even yeah. though I got crushed by Maze. Like he he overpowered me in tennis and in chess as well. He actually ended up winning on the chessboard. But uh, it was a really cool event, and it was in Baden Baden, Germany. And I do hope to return for, for next year. <laughs> do, do you know Malcolm Rand? I know the name. I can't remember if I've met him in person though. Yeah, he he is kind of not playing much. He, uh -huh. he 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 plays what you are playing. So he plays chess, he plays poker, I he see. plays tennis, nice. <laughs> and he's quite good in tennis. Very good. He's, he's training already ten years. Uh, I remember once there was funny incident. So it was uh, 2012 maybe, and we were playing chess Universiada. So it was very big event, like like just like Olympiad. 
all the sports are there. Just in this case, there is also chess. So there is going soccer, swimming, uh, weightlifting, and there is also tennis. So Rant was like you. He was very always was uh, walking, running, doing some physical activity before the games, after the games. So before the game, he went to play tennis. It was funny. Like he came to the tennis, he came to the chess universiada, but he came with his tennis racket, and people were mm. thinking that he's tennis player, but he was chess player. Oh, that's funny. And then once he's going to to do his physical activity to just play a little bit tennis with him, uh, uh, with the wall, and this is like a national team player from another another country. He's practicing before the game, and Rand says like. Do you want to play? I am a matcher, and the guy who is preparing for the next match for the Universiada says, "Like, mm, let's try." So they are playing and Rand winning this guy who is playing tennis for the Universiada wow. in the oh, <laughs> for the national team. Uh, Eric, uh, you are just going with the flow, and you are just enjoying what you are doing, and it. I recalled the. Have you have you seen my detachment article? Like detach from the result and enjoy what you are doing. It's so. I, I don't think I've seen the article, say. but um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I know the concept. Yeah. Yes, and are you familiar with Eckhart Tolle? No, that doesn't ring a bell. Have you have you have you heard the book The Power of Now? I've heard of the. I, I've heard of that book. Yeah, it's 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 it's, 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 it's this what you are you you are kind of doing? Yeah, just being in now, enjoying this right. moment, and going with the flow. So I had initially this question in my mind to ask you, where would you like to be after five years? But I realized that I should not ask you this question because <laughs> you are just going with the flow, enjoying it, uh, following your passion, right? And you'll see where it will take. Exactly. Yeah, I I don't even know what I, where I'm gonna be like next year. Like, uh, I've just started to try and plan my 2024. But even like next month, December, it's like trying to figure out what my uh, what, what my plans will be. But it's a very interesting way to live, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. It's like you never know what opportunities will come up. And um, I mean, I've like as we approach the end of this year, I, I'm just trying to reflect on like all the experience I've had over 2023 and like there's been so many so many cool people i've met and like cool experiences and like amazing tournaments and just things i never thought i would do like this poker tournament or this chess tennis event so it's uh it's been, been fun to look back uh, eric let, let me ask you the last question i'm i i hope in the future i i will invite you one more time you will accept it and we'll have the second part but for today, I want to ask you this question that I'm asking all my guests. The last question. What's your one wish to chess players who wants to improve and also have fun at the same time? What's one wish do you have for them? One wish, one advice. One wish. Um, I want to say something that I haven't said already. Like, obviously, I want them to... To follow the passion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it can uh, be same. It, it, it's, you, you can summarize it. What we have gone through, you can summarize it. Go ahead. Fine. Yeah, let me let me take a, a small moment here. I'm sure. Like, I'm hoping, hoping to say something, bring a little bit more value. One wish. 
I think I, I'd wish for people to. Oh, man. I think for people to enjoy the journey rather than the final destination. I think a lot of people are results and rating oriented. And sometimes it's so easy to get caught up on a certain goal. But if you enjoy the process, it will bring a, hopefully a lot more fulfillment and it will hopefully also allow you to reach your full potential. Um, Cause that way you're, uh, you're just kind of going along for the ride and hopefully that will also allow you to overcome any obstacles or challenges that you face. Um, so yeah, focus, focus on the journey, um, similar to life. Focus on the journey, enjoy the journey. Yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking how, how I'm going to title this episode. I was thinking when we were talking, some ideas were coming like mm. learn to lose, embrace the challenge, get out from comfort zone. But this last thing, what you said, enjoy the journey. I think it's, it's very cool and probably one mm -hmm. of the most important things for people. And when it chess, it's so easy to get obsessed with goals, to have 1500 rating, 2000 rating, 2200 rating, get FM title, get AM title, and then often you don't enjoy it. Recently, I tweeted uh, that I put it something like this. I'll try to to recall it. It was, if you are, uh, if you, if you want the end results more, and you will enjoy from the end results more, then from what you are doing now, something is very wrong in your system. <laughs> yeah. And this is what many people are doing. Yes, they are struggling, spending some years, not having fun just to get that 2000 rating. And so when they are getting, they are happy one day, second day, and the third day, there is again this emptiness. Yeah, it can take a lot of effort to kind of shift that mindset and kind of take a step back, think big picture, think about long term, rather than just short term. And um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a quote I like that uh, the the master has lost more games than the beginner has ever played. So yes, in order to yes, in order yeah. to get good at something, you you have to have a lot of fa failure and uh, be able to to learn and and move on. Wow, this was very very interesting, uh, Eric. I I knew you as a very nice guy. And it's not just me who knew this. I think the chess world knows Eric Rose. And if there was like, let's let's do some voting and give what kind of person Eric is. I think the nice guy <laughs> will win. Uh, but I didn't know much how you are in this power of now, just going with the flow, ignoring what society wants from you, ignoring the traps, ignoring the things. You are just living with your way, with your values, uh, with your philosophy. This was very cool. Thank you very much, man, for coming and sharing all these things. And thanks so much for helping the chess world, for entertaining. Uh, thank you very, very much. And thank you too. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Avatik. Uh, really enjoyed the chat. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully people can get some value from this. So I'll be happy to have a part two, hopefully someday. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, my friend. And we, at some point, we, uh, we touched this topic, yeah, how how important are uh, our early supporters when we are just starting something and these people are giving us like 
boost to continue that doing. So uh, maybe together we will now impress like our gratitude to all our early supporters and today supporters who are helping us and uh, they are pushing us forward. Definitely, yeah. Big, big things to all the fans out there who've, uh, yeah, just made a, such a amazing ecosystem for chess as as we see it today. So, um, yeah, definitely important to be grateful. Thank you very much, my friend. Thanks, Avatik. It's a pleasure. Champions, here are my three takeaways. First one: do it with passion, or just don't do it. Second: constantly keep learning new things and maintain excitement. And the third one, be consistent in your craft and always keep growing. In the comments, please share your takeaways and I will see you in the next episode.